Welcome to Art Stories at SPSU, where we discuss a variety of aspects of visual art on campus of Southern Polytechnic State University. Today, Shannon Hames talks with lecturer Donna Kolbeck about the variety of art on campus and about future plans for SPSU art. Brandon Gates, myself, finds out why fellow student Philip Collar finds his own spaces to showcase his talents. Sahil Budwani speaks with Dr. Warner about an art on campus. And Jason Hartman explores the topic, what's the deal with sculptures on campus? Join us as we explore art at SPSU. Southern Poly has several pieces of art and sculptures in public and private spaces, from the well-known and well-loved globe structure outside the student center to the hidden gems that are carefully documented and stored in the campus library, SPSU is home to a variety of artistic works. Donna Kolbeck has been a lecturer of fine art at Southern Polytechnic for 10 years. In addition to teaching art appreciation and drawing, she also advocates for art on campus. I spoke to Professor Kolbeck recently. She shared some background and her firsthand knowledge about art on campus and what excites her about art at SPSU. Despite the fact that our university is 65 years old, there is no established protocol for how the school handles the acquisition or display of art in public spaces. Professor Kolbeck explains. On a campus such as this one, maybe uh, at some point in time there was an effort made to have a concerted effort to have uh, art in public spaces program but there is nothing official about it. So as you have administrations change and as a building gets constructed or as a renovation takes place, things get shifted around. Oh yes, let's, let's put something over here. Oh, we can call the rock that the fraternities and sorority use. Oh, that, that's our changing public sculpture. Librarian Amy Kuganauer has carefully logged and photographed work so that the students can look on the L.V. Johnson Library website for the Art Lib Guide to see the collection that SPSU has. This collection includes original paintings, prints, etchings, sketches, reproductions, busts, architectural elements, sculptures, carvings, and archival pieces. She has done a fantastic job of um, taking photographs um, and compiling basic information about all the pieces that are in the SPSU library collection. Some of them are originals and some of them are uh, reproductions. Students can look on the website to identify where pieces are located using a floor map. Each work of art in the collection has artist credits. Students can look up the works by the artist on the artist list, and if there is biographical information available, students can click on the links to help them learn more about each artist. Outside of the library, students can see sculptures on campus, but as many students have noted, they're often difficult to appreciate. Some of the sculptures are missing information, which leaves the students to wonder who the artist was, and when the piece was installed and other relevant information. While discussing the issue with Professor Kolbeck, we learn that there may be a variety of reasons for art on campus, and oftentimes, even she doesn't know how or why the art is there. 
Then there are some sculptures around campus that, again, as, as Jason has indicated, they're there, you kind of walk by them, you don't even pay attention. There's not even a signage or a plaque or anything indicating uh, that this is a piece of sculpture, when it was made, how it came to be on campus. The um, concrete canoe is now out in front of the Civil Engineering Building and it's like, well, is that promotion for the concrete canoe team or is that supposed to be a sculpture? Although some of the art on campus appears to be accidental, students and professors have reasons to be enthusiastic about finding art at SPSU because there are things on the horizon. Professor Kolbeck shares her viewpoint on what excites her about art on campus. I think it's the potential that art is making greater strides on campus in several different ways. One of them is through the New Media Art Program because we did receive a grant last year and are in the process of implementing components of it which will allow us to do some installation work and have a more visible presence on the campus if not permanent in one location uh, because ideally we were hoping to have a gallery devoted to new media arts but also arts in general similar to the architecture studio has its space. As it stands now, the atrium building is where the New Media Arts Program students take their program classes. However, there is no place in the building for students to display their work. The problems range from maintenance, not wanting things hanging on the walls, to not really having the proper way to showcase what is new media without worrying about damaged or missing equipment. Problems with those types of works are that you have to have them secure, sometimes more so than a painting, because they involve um, equipment, electronics, computers, uh, video projection cameras that are very, very expensive, and you just can't leave that type of thing out uh, in a hallway projecting on a wall because it will disappear. SPSU student Jason Hartman spoke with Kolbeck a little more about the sculptures. So I want to piggyback off of your idea, Shannon, and stay on the topic of the displayed art on campus. I've noticed one thing about the artwork, and that it's centralized to three places, the atrium, the textile building, and the architecture buildings. It makes sense that they would be there, but there are some things that just feel out of place, like the black statue at the textile building. It could have been made by engineering students, or it could have been made by architecture students, but I don't know. We went on to ask her who takes care of it, and the answer surprised us a bit. It may be through facilities right now because they, they keep track of items on campus, you know. Um, but I don't know. I haven't done any research on that. It'd be a great project. Professor Kolbeck went on to tell us we could ask around to see who actually takes care of it. She told us to start with facilities and see where it goes. So we did. The answer we got was that facilities didn't really know. Um, no, I'm not familiar. So then I went to the library. And they sent me to the reference desk. And from there, they sent me to the archives library, who also had no information on the statue. I was sent back to the reference desk, and they called the reference librarian. And the reference librarian told me to call facilities. So basically, nobody knows how it got there. What we do know is that it's been there since the building was acquired in 1988. So it's somewhere around 25 years old which would explain why it's in such terrible shape. 
Well, there is another problem that I'm seeing with the artwork around campus, rather than just natural wear and tear. It's student destruction. What do you mean, student destruction? Okay, so there's a project that was done by a graduate of the New Media Arts program that's been on display in the second floor hallway of the atrium. It's been there for less than a semester. It's a piece about the inhumanity of slaughterhouses. I'm sure you've seen it. It's completely destroyed. Granted, some of the damage has been done to it by way of the way it was mounted on the wall. But it looks like some of the damage was done by people walking by it and mistreating it. It all goes back to what Professor Kolbeck said about uh, security. The pieces just aren't safe enough to display. So those are the only two pieces in bad shape, though. There's other work on the second and third floors of the atrium that are still in good shape. Not to mention there's tons of work on display in the architecture building, and none of those are in bad shape. But who's to say that someone wouldn't just walk by and steal a projector from the New Media Arts Project? You have a point. But wait, what about the wooden sculpture in front of the architecture building? There is actually a really interesting story about that sculpture. It was actually a collaborative piece by all the students at Southern Poly. Anyone could come by, pick up a piece of wood, and nail it to the artwork. The architecture department also this fall and just last week when it had the opening of artworks on display in the architecture studio gallery for the students that had gone to Barcelona and Paris last summer had out on the courtyard this assemblage sculpture that people could add to and they had done that early in the semester there was some notice that anybody that wants to add come and add to it and so they were adding to it again um, and that is interesting that it's on rollers and that it can be pushed around <laughs> in and out to, to take it out when we want to add to it and then push it away in another time. The funny thing is I didn't even know it was there until a few weeks ago when I was talking with a friend of mine who told me about it. I thought it was cool that the school had something like this and I wish I'd known about it sooner. I would have really appreciated it. I think it's really interesting that we're slowly becoming more artistic around campus, and I think that the New Media Arts program has a lot to do with that change. There is one student in particular that Brandon talked to. His name is Philip Collar. Brandon, tell us more about Philip. Philip is well known by students and teachers in the ETCMA department, as well as students who take their classes in the J building. He marches to the beat of his own drums, and one of the things he is most well known for is his art on the whiteboard of the second floor into the atrium. As you go up the spiral staircase, it's the one immediately to your right. I was able to talk to Philip about how he started taking over this whiteboard and becoming sort of a rogue artist. And let's listen to him about how he got started. I, start, I took it over a year ago, actually. Practically, uh, it'll be a year ago, like October 20th. Mm. And pretty much what happened was... Um, is... I came to show up for a class, and of course the class was canceled, because, you know, I'm there, no one's in the room, door's locked, check my phone, oh, email from the professor. And at the time, I lived off campus, so I was like, I just drove here, I, I'm not ready to drive back. I see a whiteboard, it's always empty, like, I went and scrounged markers, salvaged, I just commandeered some markers out of some rooms and just started drawing. I just filled up the whole board with it and then I at no one erased that for like two weeks it didn't get erased until November like something and at which point 
I just kept doing it, and it's mine. I say so. Pretty much, it's just a bit of self-proclaimed, it's mine. What started out as a student just killing some time during a canceled class soon turned into sort of an ever-changing art exhibit. In fact, it became popular enough that someone actually tried to take over the board. Philip said he won that war when he drew a mountain with a flag on top, claiming it to be his forever and a day. Recently, he has enacted the sort of a make-your-mark project to allow others to draw what they would like on the board. Yes, I did that. Um, I'm actually currently in a class, History of Principles of Media Arts, and we were talking about how a lot of art nowadays is actually more interactive. Mm -hmm. And more, it's a, almost, that's what almost half the course is about, is how art is becoming more interactive. It's not something, you know, oh, look at this pretty picture, it's on a wall, better stand five feet away, don't touch it. Art is now something that it's almost the, the audience wants to get their hands into. Mm -hmm. That a lot of pieces nowadays are um, in new forms of media using light, sound, um, projection, and that they are interactive pieces. So, you know, I thought maybe to try one myself, and so I put up a sign on the whiteboard saying, make your mark, and I left out some markers just to see what people would do. And some people, um, a lot of people mostly wrote on it. Not a lot of actual drawing happened. It was mostly people writing on it. Mm -hmm. And usually from what I can tell is that every time it was, the board was erased, or the first person would always basically do a um, anti-mark, saying like, why should I? No, I won't do it, or this is sticking it. And then after that, though, people would go in and they would usually scribble that out or and set and make their own marks, um, being basically productive and for the idea, which I thought was kind of a funny kind of concept that the first person to make their mark wants to try and ruin it, and everyone else is cleaning up. Uh, yeah, yeah, it cleans up after them. So this is really interesting because Dr. Kolbeck was also talking about how new forms of art that aren't just paintings hanging on a wall they now involve technology, like Philip said. They involve light and sound and projection. We are so slowly starting to change the way we conceptualize what art really is and how it can be displayed in public spaces. And as Philip noted, we can involve others in it. And what does their involvement say about who we are as a people? Philip explains that there was even a progression to it. And a lot more people, I think, started drawing as the, as the weeks went on. Like the first week, it was pretty much, it was nothing but writing and some maybe a little scribbles, some little glyphs, but by the third week there were a lot more drawings, little doodles and fun stuff like that. Now, drawing on a whiteboard is a different dynamic. It can take Philip several hours to complete a work and he never knows when it will get erased. It isn't like drawing on paper where the time, energy, and effort can be saved. He also has to use the markers which only have one color and one shade to them. Uh, I asked Philip about the difference in whiteboard compared to other mediums. It's different, yeah, it's very much different. The main difference with, um, between it and a lot of mediums is there isn't really a, sh like a shading. Doing different pressure, like with the marker, like with a pencil, you know, harder you press, darker it is. You, don't get, you can't do that with a dry erase marker. So you have to be almost, you have to use more inking techniques to kind of create shades and different um, light tones and usually get that through. I do it through hatching or cross-hatching, which is, you know, the lines, and that's the thickness and spacing of lines to get different uh, darks and shades and such. Also, um, color. Gibbs can do that, just having a, a darker color versus a lighter color. 
um, next to each other can create different um, perceptions of effects. But that's probably the main difference. Um, also, you just have to realize how stark white your background is, and there is nothing you can do about that. You have to work with it. Um, My Nightmare Before Christmas had the most attempt to overcome the white background, and that's because I covered the entire board. I From one corner to the next was just completely covered, and even still, it was very white. Yeah, because I've noticed that when I've tried to draw with expo markers, you can't completely fill in because when you draw over, it kind of erases part of it the... It erases ink. as you're drawing. Yes, that is something that happens, that part of the marker wipes away the old ink. Yeah. And um, that's, some, that's another thing that you have to work around. And a lot of that is, it's about figuring out the angle of the marker as you're going, figuring out what, um, which way when you um, make a stroke will erase, make a mark, and also um, how dark it will be. Um, and sometimes you'll I have to go in at one angle to cover up the white that the marker created, stuff like that. And you also can learn that putting certain inks over others will change the colors. Um, blue, for instance, um, when put over black, um, darkens it a lot. And with green, green is the wettest one. It has a lot of for whatever reason, the green marker is really wet. It just puts out a lot. It's very wide and very bright, um, which also makes it, I guess, the most corruptible by other colors. That if green touches another color, it absorbs it and starts mixing it in with the others. Um, and something I actually most recently learned that was mixing the orange and the brown, they mix very well. In fact, like, they actually blend. Those are the only two colors that actually blend with an expo, that they actually make that kind of chestnut, orangish brown, actually. They actually do mix, which was exciting because I really need that color for the last big piece I did, the How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah, I saw that. His vest. He's going yeah. to use that on you. Yeah. And his hair. Yeah. That too. Especially in his hair. Now, um, when you finish something... I've saw, like on um, you mentioned on the Hydra Training Dragon. Right. I saw someone after maybe a week or so went and uh, took their finger and erased little pictures in it. Does that irritate you or does it realize that hey it's because it's a whiteboard it's gonna happen eventually? Um both. It it does irritate me, but at the same time it, it is part of me it is part of just doing art in general. That could happen to almost any piece. Um for even the stuff up on the walls. I mean, there's nothing really Stopping yeah. someone from, you know, taking your sharpie to it. Really, the difference is, is that whiteboards are made to be erased, whereas other things are permanent pieces. That's the actual destruction. This is to other people. This is the same as shaking up an extra sketch. Okay. Um, and it is something. And all, really, I almost see it as either a an excuse to fix it, touch up things that were wrong with it, that I later saw were wrong with the piece, or just give me an excuse to erase it and to make a new one. It's that's almost how I pace like pieces. I'm just gonna leave it up there until it's erased. When it's erased, that's when I'll do a new one. Okay, so it's sort of like a method of scheduling yourself. Then it does. Um, it gives me. It just give. It just gives me excuse to put up a new one that I don't have to erase it. Someone else will. It's kind of an interesting. Um, the main thing, the main lessons I've learned though to kind of shorten that are: don't leave out markers, and don't leave out the erasers. Because if you leave out an eraser, you're just begging for it to be erased. <laughs>
Students like Philip have taken it upon themselves to create art in a place where the school will allow it without having to go to the trouble of asking for special permissions. Sahil Bubrani spoke to Dr. Ava Werner about her perspective as a teacher. Sahil? Although a technical college, Southern Polytechnic State University sports a large art program. However, we don't have much to show for it. That said, many other students like myself studying new media arts feel that we lack art on campus. I thought it would be useful to get a perspective of a teacher on the entire situation. And so, I ventured into Professor Werner's office to see what were her thoughts on the whole, whole thing. Because we have so many, like, we have architecture students, we have new media art students uh, who can produce, like, really good artwork, and why don't we see any, like, we don't see enough. I know we see some, but we don't see enough artwork on the campus. Why is that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I know when I started... Um, I started hanging work uh, up wherever they would let me. Um, but it is a sort of a slow process. I mean, I do it in my spare time. And, you know, it, it does involve some work. I mean, you have to kind of decide where to put the work and how to hang it and which work works best with other work. You have to collect it. Um, so it does take some efforts. Um, the architecture school it has work that they show like in their hallway and they also have a gallery, yeah. but it's so separate from campus and they don't like publicize the event that they have there um, very well, I think. They publicize them amongst the architecture students, but not amongst other people. Right, yeah. That is exactly what I was what I think the problem is. We need to go beyond our own space. For us, it is J building and start making artwork that we can openly display on the campus grounds. That way more people can view it and the work can gain more publicity. I know in her conversation with Shannon and Jason, Professor Kolbeck said that they would like to be get a grant to have her our own building that would be a secure place to showcase art. It would be a secure and have equipment that might be necessary to display the new media art, computers, projectors, lights, all of that. What is happening now is that all the artwork that is hung in the J building gets very little attention. So the students lose incentive for creating more work. Which brings me to my next question. I think if we were to commission students to create more installations and sculptures that can be displayed on the grounds of SPSU, it would encourage more students to come forward and create more cool stuff. So is it possible for the university to commission students or even teachers to make artwork? Probably. I mean, anything is possible. Um, and there's certainly professors I know that just hang their work up. Um, Max North is one of them. Yeah. And you see a lot of his artwork in the J building. Um, but, you know, I think... I mean, I would like to see more student work. I mean, ultimately, we're there because of the students. And, um, you know, I you know, would be happy to show my work or, you know, it would be great to have a faculty show once in a while. Right, yeah. But I really want to see students work um, around. And, you know, I would love to see more installation, right. um, that's, that's you know, more stuff in public spaces. Right. Lots of opportunities to do 
really cool stuff, and it would be fun to maybe have, like, our own flux night, you know, where artists, uh, you know, students do video projections on buildings and sculptures on all over the place. You know, maybe it would be temporary, but it would be fun to have that, you know, once a year, I think. Yeah, definitely. But again, it's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in doing that, and but I, you know, it would be up to me to make it happen. Like, no one's going to most likely give me any money to make it happen. Dr. Werner brings up a great point. Teachers are here because of students. It will be it will be up to us to start asking or even demanding that the school direct some funds to the art. If they can use a large portion of student fees or athletic programs that not that not many students participate in, why can't they use some funds to pay for art in public spaces so that all students, faculty and visitors can enjoy it? If seeing more art on campus is something that is appealing to you, It's time to take action and start asking the student council and administration at SPSU to make it happen. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. SPSU has some really interesting aspects of art going on, from creative and talented students to dynamic and pro- proactive teachers. Art is taking place all over the campus. Students only need to look around them, visit the library, or speak with someone some of their teachers. In addition, a little known fact for students to remember is that their student ID gets them free admission to into the High Museum of Art, thanks to partnership with, that our school started with them several years ago. So grab a classmate and get started with your campus art adventure today. <laughs>